Merry Christmas, Forest Park. Great to see you guys today. So glad you are here as we wrap up our series called You Belong. This is part four, and if you haven't been with us over the series, I encourage you to go when you get a chance. Go to part one, two, three on our YouTube channel. It's all there for free. You can check it out, answer some questions that you might have at the end of today's message. But I'm excited that you are here today as we wrap this series up. You know, when I was a kid, I struggled to belong. As many of you know, my family moved frequently, and because I was an only child, I felt lonely often. I sat by myself a lot. I was the eternal new kid in school, the new kid at church, the alone kid at family reunions. So I know the feeling of being alone and feeling like a square peg in a round hole. And it's why I'm passionate about helping people connect and belong today. It's why I presented the series the way that I did. It's why I began a journey a couple of years ago to become a mental health therapist. It's why I've been a pastor for 30 years. Feeling outcast is miserable, and feeling alone is detrimental to our spirit, body, and mind. And I'm sure there are a few of you who feel similar this time of the year. Just because it's Christmas Eve doesn't mean you feel connected to your family or to friends or even to God. In fact, maybe because it's Christmas Eve, you feel especially disconnected from your family and friends and maybe even God. Or you feel disconnected from your career or within your marriage or wherever. And because this is true, I am committed to creating environments where you are welcomed and where you feel as if you belong, maybe for the first time in your life. I never want to be in charge of anything, whether it's a business or a church, where people feel discouraged, disengaged, as if they don't belong. And of all places, I'm committed to this, the church ought to be the most welcoming and safe place imaginable. It ought to be the easiest place to connect. It should be a breeze to make friends. You should be simple to join. You should be a joy whenever you're a part and experience joy. And there should be few hoops and almost no red tape that you have to go through to be a part of a local church. But unfortunately, welcoming and safe are not the words many people use to describe their experience when it comes to church. The history of the church at large reveals many Christians are woeful at offering a welcoming atmosphere for all people. We say you are welcome. We put it on banners. We put it on signs. We put it on business cards. We put it on our website. We say you are welcome, and then we add a lot of conditions. The truth is we got a lot of fine print. Ever watched a commercial, and at the end of the commercial, the spokesperson reads a few conditions really fast? In fact, they're so fast you can't understand what they're saying or process what it means. And if you could understand it, if you could process it, it would probably change how you think of the product and discourage you from purchasing it. That's the reason they read it so fast. They don't want you to know exactly what's in the product. They don't want you to know some of the side effects of the product, so they read it really quickly. That's the experience a lot of people have when it comes to churches. You are welcome if. You can stay if, or we want you to be a part, but we love you, but. Yet the church in the New Testament had little fine print. Yes, there are 
few conditions. It's not a free-for-all no matter what, but the conditions are minor and clear and reasonable and practical and helpful for the good of the people attending and belonging to that particular church, and they are a far cry from what we often see carried out today. And listen, just in case you are newer to Forest Park, I am not implying or suggesting that we have it all figured out and that we do it better than anybody else. We don't, and we don't. But I want you to hear my heart today. We're trying. We're trying to figure it out. We are trying to get it right. We're trying to move toward being as welcoming and as loving as the gospel actually is. And we still have a ways to go. But I'm confident that God wants his church diverse. And it is. When you look around the entire church around the globe and you consider, you know, the different nations that are, that are part of the church and the different cultures and different languages, but it is not very diverse at the local level. Our churches are far too segregated. And I don't mean just the color of our skin. I mean, pay attention to it. You'll see conservative churches and liberal churches. You'll see county churches and city churches. You'll see wealthy churches and poor churches and, of course, white churches and black churches. We just do not look very much like the New Testament. And I'm not okay with that. And I don't want any one of us here at Forest Park to be okay with that either. And Christmas won't allow us to be okay with it. In fact, our divisions and conditions and fine print and walls between people and cultures and beliefs strikes at the very heart of Christmas. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Just pay attention to the nativity scene. If we, if we put the accounts of the first Christmas as told in Matthew chapter 2 and the first Christmas as told in Luke chapter 2 and you blend those two accounts together, we get a diverse group of people at the major scene. Not only welcoming and worshiping the new Messiah, but the diversity reflects the new Messiah's kingdom. Just pay attention. I know we just kind of look at the nativity scene and we move on because we want to get to the hot chocolate and cookies and presents and everything else. But really focus in on the nativity scene. What do you find? You find Mary, a devout young female virgin. You find Joseph, an older male who is nervous, confused, but doing his best to trust the plan of God. You find shepherds apart. These are poor, uneducated, weak, mostly ignored by society. They are apart. You find wise men, wealthy, educated, powerful, pagans. And they're all part of the nativity scene. I mean, at the beginning, the foundation of the kingdom of God, diverse stones are being laid down. Various cultures, religions, breaking classes, cracking social norms, elevating Mary, a female, in a very strong patriarchal culture. Now let's leave the nativity scene and jump ahead 33 years to the Last Supper scene. This is at the end of the ministry of Jesus. This is an extremely important scene in the Gospels. And what do we find in the Last Supper? We find in the night before Jesus was crucified, who is with him? His disciples, who are significantly diverse. Simon Peter, James, John, Andrew, all fishermen. Matthew was a tax collector. Simon the Zealot was part of a movement advocating throwing off Roman rule over Palestine by any means necessary. So we see among these 12 the kind of diversity the church is to reflect 
Men, women, zealots, religious people, non-religious people, tax collectors, early adopters, late adopters, faith-filled people, doubters. Christ's church is not made up of one race, one gender, one socioeconomic class. Rather, it includes all. And I imagine, this is just the way I think about things as they unfold in the Gospels and unfold in Scripture, I, I imagine there were people at each scene kind of wondering why the other people were present. You ever thought about that? I mean, maybe Joseph was sitting there kind of thinking through, why are these wise men here? Why, why are these shepherds here? Maybe a shepherd or two, maybe one of the wise men or all of the wise men. Maybe, maybe at the Last Supper scene, Peter or Matthew was wondering why some of the other ones were included in this kingdom Jesus was establishing and moving forward with. Peter thinking to himself, why did Jesus invite Matthew to join in this movement? He's a tax collector. He's hurt our people for years. Matthew might have been wondering why Jesus would include Judas because Matthew and Judas saw money and treated money very differently. Maybe one of the wise men in the nativity scene was questioning reports of the shepherds because people didn't listen that much to what shepherds said. Maybe one of the shepherds was wondering why a pagan astrologer should be trusted at all. But that's the nature of God's kingdom, isn't it? I mean, that, that, that's what it's about, right? The nature of God's kingdom? I mean, it's diversity. It's different people from different cultures and practices and values People who define God differently, who saw women differently, who voted differently, all brought together into the kingdom of God. That's the beauty of the body of Christ. That's the power of the body of Christ. That's the appeal of the body of Christ. Out of many, one. But listen carefully. This idea of unity and diversity from diversity is hard. It is so difficult. We humans naturally drift toward people who are like us. Study after study reveals we gravitate toward people who we look like and who we believe identify with us. Here's just one example. In a room where a lecture was beginning, the instructor set up the room in a very special way. He created a, a group of chairs on one side with an aisle down the middle and a group of chairs on this side. And he asked one of the people who were attending, a, a white person, to sit in this side. And he asked one of his black uh, people attending this, the, the uh, lecture to sit on this side. And that's all he did. And when he opened the doors, most of the white people sat in the section with the white person. And most of the black people sat in the section with the black person. Study after study reveals we gravitate toward people we feel we are alike and who understand us. And we're familiar with them, safe with them. We don't want to work too hard to get to know new people. It takes a heart change. It takes a value change, an entirely new way of looking and processing life to change. And I know no better example in scripture than Peter. L listen to this. After, after walk, this, this, this shakes me to my core. After walking with Jesus for more than three years, after being with Jesus at the Last Supper, Watching Jesus wash the feet of each disciple, being present when Jesus touched lepers and elevated women and forgave those who murdered him. Peter, after walking on water. Peter, after watching fish and bread multiply. Peter, after interacting with Lazarus, who had been dead for four days. Peter, after watching all these miracles, after watching all the incredible things Jesus did, Peter still found it difficult to accept and include all people. 
He continued to draw lines after the resurrection of Jesus. He continued to draw distinctions between these people and these people after the day of Pentecost when Peter stood up and preached and 3,000 people were converted in one day. This was after Peter saw people healed and raised from the dead. After all of that, Peter still didn't comprehend the radical, inclusive nature of the gospel. And God had to grab Peter and shake him to wake him up to just how radical the gospel actually is. Let me, let me tell you this story, and we'll read some of it to you. You may have never even paid attention to this story in Acts chapter 10. But in Acts 10, it says this. At noon on the following day, as their journey brought them close to the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted to eat. While others were preparing a meal, he had a vision. Now, here's the vision Peter had. He saw heaven opened up and something like a large linen sheet being lowered to the earth by four corners. Inside the sheet were all kinds of four-legged animals, reptiles, and wild birds. A voice told him, get up, kill, and eat, Peter. And Peter exclaimed, absolutely not, Lord. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke a second time, never consider what I, what God has made Excuse me, the voice came a second time, never consider unclean what God has made pure. This happened three times. Then the object was suddenly pulled back into heaven. Peter was bewildered about the meaning of the vision. Three times this vision appeared to Peter. Typically, when something in Scripture happens three times, it is because God is emphasizing something. If you pay attention, you'll see it over and over again throughout Scripture. Three times something happens. In fact, God is referred to as holy, holy, holy. Every time something is used three times, it's a way of emphasizing the importance of what is being said. So this vision came to Peter not once, not twice, but three times. And it was intentionally given to him three times to emphasize its importance. So God reveals the radical nature of the gospel to Peter three times to say, Peter, listen to me. All people are included. Peter, all people are included. Peter, I know this is against everything you've been taught. I know it's against all of your tradition. I know it's against the way that you have lived and practiced religion your whole life. But all people are included. And even after the vision appears to Peter three times, Peter is still not clear. I've learned that welcoming all people is one of the most difficult aspects of the gospel to accept. We prefer divisions. We like distinctions. So what happens to Peter? Well, Peter, just to tell you the story really quick, Peter leaves the top of the house. He goes downstairs. He has an incredible encounter with several people. He makes a journey to the city of Caesarea. He has a meeting with a guy named Cornelius. And finally, Peter understands the meaning of the vision. In verse 34, Peter tells us what happened. Peter said, I really am what? I really am learning. God doesn't show partiality to one group of people over another. Wait a second, wait, 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 just stop. Are you telling me, Peter, that after Pentecost, 
after miracles, after lepers have been healed, after you watched Jesus be crucified, and you touched and held his resurrected body, are you telling me that after you walked on water, after you watched fish multiply and bread, after all the things you experienced, after you stood at the foot of the cross and watched Jesus pour his blood out for all of humanity, after all of that, you still had things to learn? After all of that, I realized something. I still didn't know everything. And God had to grab me one afternoon and shake me and say, Peter, you have seen so much. You've experienced so much. You've been part of something that is shaking, eventually will shake the globe. But there are still some things about my gospel, still some things about the radical nature of the good news that you don't know. And it probably was easier for you to walk on water than it will be to accept what I'm getting ready to tell you. All people are included. All people are included. The next verse says, rather in every nation, whoever worships him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Peter is still learning after three years with Jesus, after miracles, after preaching, after having his life turned upside down by the gospel, Peter is finally ready for God to teach him the radical nature of the gospel. Now, remember, I told you that there's fine print. Well, what's the fine print in this revelation that God gave Peter? Here it is. Whoever worships him and does what's right. That's the fine print. Well, what, what, what is, does what is right? What does scripture tell us? What is the right thing to do? How is the law and the prophets? It hangs on what? Two things. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So if you ever meet someone who worships God and who wants to love God and love his or her neighbor as themselves, they're accepted. It doesn't have anything to do with what I think. It doesn't have anything to do with my tradition and my thinking and the way my mama taught me and the way my granddaddy taught me. If you meet someone who worships God and wants to love God with all their heart and wants to love their neighbor as themselves, they're in. And Peter's mind is blown. Years of tradition, years of exclusion, years of drawing lines and making distinctions and placing people into categories, and all of it is gone in one afternoon. Eradicating distinctions, folks, listen, was always God's heart. It was always his plan. God never wanted all the lines and distinctions and categories, but Peter wasn't ready. Now he is. It's why Peter, Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Christ is just like the human body. A body is a unit and has many parts, and all the parts of the body are one body, even though there are many. We were all, this is, this is radical. We've heard it and heard it and heard it. This was new to them. We were all baptized by one spirit into one body. Watch how radical this is. Whether Jew or Greek, slave or free. He brings slaves and masters together and says, you know what? In the gospel, they're one. He's supposed to eradicate this kind of slavery mentality. He starts to break it up. We're all given one spirit to drink. Certainly the body isn't one part, but many. 
Most of the time when we read this passage, we apply the thinking and reasoning to the various gifts within the church. Everybody has a different gift and everybody ought to use their gift to the good of the body of Christ. Absolutely means that, but it is so much deeper than that. So much deeper. It's a picture of the church. That's why Paul says in Galatians 3, you who are all God's children through faith in Christ Jesus. All of you were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is, watch this, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, if you belong to Christ, then indeed you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promise. What's the fine print, Scott? Here it is, through faith in Christ Jesus. That's it. How are we all made one? How are we all included? Through faith in Christ Jesus. Now, what does this have to do with Christmas? Because I know it's what you're wondering. I've sat out there many years on Christmas and, and with some hot chocolate and some, you know, jingle bells and all the stuff that goes along with the Christmas traditions. What does everything that I've said have to do with Christmas? It's the center of Christmas. What I've said so far is the essence of Christmas. It is the why of Christmas. I know we have been conditioned to think of Christmas as gift-giving and parties and sleighs and Santa Claus and snow and eggnog and all the glitter and glam. And churches combat the commercialization of Christmas with signs and banners saying, Jesus is the reason for the season, as if that clears up the confusion. Beyond baby Jesus in a manger surrounded by shepherds and wise men crowded into a smelly barn, many Christians couldn't even explain what it means to say Jesus is the reason for the season. Some Christians would say something along the lines of, uh, I think it means that Jesus came so that we can go to heaven when we die. Or if you were raised in my religious tradition, you would say something like, Jesus came so that some of us can go to heaven when we die. And at the risk of sounding disrespectful, this is so thin, hollow, and boring that I'd prefer Santa and the elves. I want you to listen to the fullness of Christmas. I want you to hear this. When is the last time you heard Christmas is about God embodying himself in human flesh and blood and bone? entering into our experience and living on this earth, walking into our darkness and dread and hopelessness and entering into our shame and tasting our weaknesses and leading us out into his marvelous light and hope and life and freedom. When was the last time you heard Christmas is about breaking down the walls of hostility we erected between God and us and between classes and races and genders and religions? And Christmas is about bursting through the partitions and divisions and making us all one in Christ Jesus. When's the last time you heard Christmas is about creating a pathway to God and about putting us in right relationship with God and with one another so that we can experience heaven on earth now before we die and then carrying that life with one another into eternity. See, we think the gospel is about getting us into heaven after we die. No, my friend, the gospel is about getting heaven into us before we die. And there is a big difference in those two things. You see, that, my friend, 
is Christmas. And it's why we did the series, You Belong. Because Christmas is about God entering in our world and changing how we define and how we experience community. Christmas is about breaking all the stuff dividing you and me and dividing God and us, breaking it all down. It's about bringing the uneducated shepherds and the wise pagans together. It's about building a table and putting politicians and fishermen and tax collectors together and breaking bread and sharing wine all together. Let me tell you what Christmas says. Christmas says that if the people making up a local church look alike, sound alike, vote alike, believe alike, worship alike, it's not a church. It's either a cult or a club, but it's not a church. And it certainly hasn't been touched by Christmas. Because healthy churches are diverse. And healthy churches stretch you and healthy churches push you and healthy churches force you to rub shoulders and share rows with people you might not interact with if it wasn't for the church. And I know some of the pushback. I could write a book on the pushback. Well, okay, I like all that loving people and all that kindness and, you know, everybody included. But, but what if I disagree with her about a very important issue? The gospel says you learn to love her even though you disagree. But what if I think he's doing something wrong? You learn to love him even though you think he's wrong. Remember 1 Corinthians 13. Love is, it's okay to talk to me. Love is patient. Love is kind. It isn't jealous. It doesn't brag. It isn't arrogant. It isn't rude. It doesn't seek its own advantage. It it isn't irritable. We're going to need to remember this one tonight, right? It doesn't keep a record of wrongs or complaints. Let's go a little deeper, okay? Take the word love out and insert Jesus. You want to know who Jesus is? You want to know what he's like? Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. Jesus isn't jealous. Jesus doesn't brag. Jesus isn't arrogant. He isn't rude. He doesn't seek his own advantage. He, he isn't irritable. He doesn't keep a record of complaints. Can we take that a step downward one more? Whenever you want to know how you are and where your character is and how you reflect the gospel, take the word love out and insert your name and judge yourself. Scott is patient. Scott is kind. Scott isn't jealous. Scott doesn't brag. Scott isn't arrogant. Scott isn't rude. Scott doesn't seek his own advantage. Scott isn't irritable. Scott doesn't keep a record of complaints. If we want to be like Christ, let's use that as the mirror. But for those of us who are bent on judgment, Maybe this will help you a little bit. I guarantee you've never heard this next little part in a Christmas series before. Matthew 13. Listen to how Jesus describes the kingdom. Watch this. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that people threw into a lake and gathered all kinds of fish. What kinds of fish? 
all kinds of fish. Now, you know Jesus is not talking about fish here, right? He's talking about people. The kingdom of heaven, the church, gathers all kinds of people, the good, the not so good, and the really ugly. That's what happens when you net fish. You get it all. He goes on. When it was full, they pulled it to the shore where they sat down and put the good fish together in the containers and the bad fish they threw away. Now, folks, don't, don't think that there ever won't be a separation. There will be. Some people are so selfish, so destructive, so hateful, so prideful, they can't stay with other people. So a separation will occur. But watch. That's the way it will be at the end of the present age. The angels will go out and separate the evil people from the righteous people. We all know this. There are rotten people mixed in. Selfish people, hateful people, people who don't want much to do with God's ways and refuse to get along with other people. And to keep them mixed in with the righteous people would spoil everything, wouldn't it? I mean, how can you have fun, exciting, homecoming parties when there's party poopers all in the middle? So there will be a day when they're separated. But in the end, the angels will separate. That's a way of saying God will take care of it. And what will he do with those evil, selfish people? He will throw the evildoers into a burning furnace, and there will be weeping and grinding of their teeth. It's a poetic way of talking about the separation. If they don't want to be there, he will take care of them. Out they will go into a place of misery and regret and self-loathing. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. You and I don't have to make the call about who's in and who's out. Oh, I know who's out. No, you don't. No, you don't. Let's go a little deep, and then we're going to wrap this thing up. Listen to me very carefully. Are you so ignorant and blind and stubborn, you think you have the ability to judge between right and wrong? You continue to believe you have special knowledge and can rightly label the hearts of people? You think of yourself as being like God, possessing the ability to sort good from evil? May I remind you that that is the very lie that the serpent used in the garden when he tempted Eve? No, see, God doesn't want you to eat of that tree. Why? Because when you eat it, you will become like God, knowing good and evil. And she wanted to become the, have the ability to separate the good from the evil. It's always the hiss of the serpent that tells you that you have the unique ability to put people into different categories. No, my friend. God judges and sorts. Guess what we get to do? Here's the good news. We get to love and rejoice. Why? Because we were pulled out of the dark, cold, deep water by the net of God's grace, and we get to go to the party thrown in our honor. You and I are not in the sorting business. You and I are in the loving business. And you and I are now free to love free to accept, and free to include all people. You see, right now, right now, this moment, we are all mixed together. We are all flopping around in a big old net. 
And we don't have to bear the burden of figuring out who's in and out. Just know this. God's net is much wider and much stronger than you ever imagined. And the people you think are in might be out. And the people you think are out might be in. So, if God says something's clean, your judgment doesn't matter. Your past tradition doesn't matter. Your previous revelation doesn't matter. Your job isn't to determine if it's dirty. Your job is to be like Peter. Take and eat. Not because you like it. Not because you think it's clean but because God says it is. Oh, Jesus. Our world needs you. Jesus, break down our walls. Break through our partitions and make us one. My friend, that is Christmas. Ashlyn and Carla Beth are going to close our service with a beautiful song, very simple song, beautiful song. It's called Welcome to Our World, and I'm done at the end of this. But listen to a few of the lyrics, just a few of the words, and tell me if this is not exactly what we need. The song says, tears are falling. That describes some of your year right there. Hearts are breaking. How we need to hear from God. Long-awaited, holy stranger, make yourself at home. Bring your peace into our violence. Bid our hungry souls be filled. Word now, breaking heaven's silence, welcome to our world. Fragile finger sent to heal us, tender brow prepared for thorn, tiny heart whose blood will save us, unto us is born. So wrap, this is my favorite line, so wrap our injured flesh around you. Breathe our air and walk our sod. Rob our sin and make us holy. Perfect son of God, welcome to our world. That's Christmas. Let's pray. Father, Christmas is so much more radical It's so much more powerful. It's so much more life-changing and life-altering than just exchanging a few gifts and singing our favorite Christmas hymn. It's so much more than you came to save us so that we can go to heaven when we die. It is so much more robust than just those who repeat a prayer are in and those who never repeated the prayer are out. It is so much more thick and heavy and beautiful and gorgeous and amazing than all of that put together. Christmas split everything in half. Christmas tore down the walls and broke down the partitions that we used to keep people in distance and in different rooms and judging them. You broke through all of it and showed us what love is and what grace is. Oh, Father, welcome to our world. Welcome to our world of hate. Welcome to our world of division. Welcome to our world of pride. I pray you tear it all apart and show us what true love is and what we really mean when we say Merry Christmas. Mm -hmm.